0: For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. <laughs> Welcome to the How to Hunt Turkeys podcast. I'm Paul Campbell. Join me as we dive into the world of turkey hunting. Every episode, we'll explore the minds of the finest turkey hunters around. We'll take a look at the people, the places, the tactics, the gear, and the culture that creates the mystique around America's favorite bird. That's right, I said it. America's favorite bird, the wild turkey. Throw on your turkey vest, grab your box call, let's talk some turkey.
1: (laughs) The
0: How to Hunt Turkeys podcast is brought to you by Go Wild. Visit timetogowild.com or download the app on iOS or Android. Go Wild has all the gear the wild turkey hunter needs camo clothes, hats, vests, turkey calls, decoys, and everything else. Sign up for a free account today and get $10 off your first order. Timetogowild.com. Wicked North Gear, delivering the very best gear for a life well-lived in the great outdoors. From field kits and DIY tax derby solutions to hats, hoodies, stickers, and more, visit WickedNorthGear.com. Welcome to another episode of the How to Hunt Turkeys podcast. I'm your host, Paul Campbell. Thank you so much for clicking download. Uh, so I am in a hotel room here in Central Florida today recording this intro. Uh, I've made a dumb mistake. I left a lot of my uh, good podcasting recording equipment uh, at home. So you're going to have to deal with, with what I'm assuming is kind of subpar audio for this intro. I am going to keep it short. I've got a great great show today. Uh, we've got Dr. Michael Chamberlain, Dr. Patrick Whiteman from the University of Georgia, two unbelievable wild turkey biologists. We are breaking down some really cool, uh, research that they have done on, uh, the wild turkey and, uh, the effects of weather, uh, breeding activities, just a, a ton of information. This is all stuff that that you, you listen to it and you can kind of build a picture in your mind of, of what it takes to be a proficient wild turkey hunter uh, in, in all areas of the country and, and a lot of the things that, that you're going to face uh, just in in regards to just kind of like the biological uh, timeline of the wild turkey and, huh. and, and what they do in, in certain uh, certain times of the year. So uh, really great, uh, really great show to you. So thanks to our partners here at this program. We've got uh, time to go wild.com Download their app on iTunes uh, or Android. Talk about that. They got a lot of turkey hunting stuff available for you. Some really good stuff. They also have a really good podcast uncensored on Sports Nation. Check that out. So. Uh, thanks to those guys. And then WickedNorthGear.com. I, your boy got to use one of the Wicked North Gear Kill Kits this year or this week, man. Got uh, my first turkey of the 2023 season. Also my first Osceola turkey uh, that I've ever had the chance to, to to tangle with. So an unbelievable hunt. Check out H2HT Podcast on Instagram. Check out Paul Campbell, 322 on Instagram, Paul Campbell on go wild i put some really neat pictures up uh just an unbelievable hunt you can listen to i just told the story on on my other podcast the o2 podcast if you want to listen to that just check it out just search ohio outdoors on the podcast i tell the story uh about my osceola oh, yeah, geez osceola hunt uh a couple of days ago so uh also thanks to the guys man you guys are awesome you're checking out turkeyseason.com. You're buying products on there. You're interacting with me on on, on on social media, talking about it. Thanks to everyone that have, have purchased an order. I got some really cool stuff uh, headed your way. So just give me a little, you know, a few a few days. Let me get home uh, and, and get this stuff wrapped up. So thank you so much for your support of turkeyseason.com. A lot of really neat stuff coming up uh, in regards to content creation. That's going to be updated and refreshed here in the next couple of days. And some more products are, are, are available. So you need mouth calls, box calls, pod calls. Uh, hunting blinds newcomb hunting blinds are up there we got uh wicked north gear we got some cool goat rope hats got some some other cool hats uh and and, and products for turkey season come your way so turkeyseason.com thank you so much for your support of that uh really appreciate you guys thank you so much uh enjoy this episode uh with dr michael and dr patrick all about wild turkey biology thanks guys <laughs> wild turkey research and population declines, I I, I I hear it every day, just paint a giant freaking target on my chest. And people are like, well, where are my turkeys? Well, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. I'm an idiot that begs for money. But I listen to guys mm-hmm. like you. And, and I try to understand what it is that, that you guys are trying to relay and I try to relay it to, to people. So when you spoke there at the at the rendezvous that morning session and the way that you communicated everything, all you know, the, the big questions, well, why the population decline? And and you just kind of piece it apart. But what really made me feel good, and I talk about this a lot with people, is that this isn't the sky's not falling. This is opportunity. And and people that are in business or in or in education, you have to seize opportunity and, and you have to really focus and and be diligent and 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 intentional effort and i think you spoke about that really well and and it, it put my my panic at ease i guess just as a turkey <laughs> hunter um i wanted to give you a big old hug when you walked off stage i'm like all right just relax Don't. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you did not do that
1: yeah like oh you made
0: me feel so bad <laughs> that would have made,
2: made it weird yeah i know no
0: yeah. I'm, yeah I'm kidding i wouldn't i wouldn't have done that but um so just talk about just, and, and we'll just get the, the 800 pound, what's the say, the, the elephant in the room, the gorilla in the room, whatever mm-hmm, it is, get mm-hmm. that sucker out of here. And if, if you would just explain that for the people listening to this um, about the population declines that we have and, and some of the reasons that, that researchers have found and, and and the opportunity that that we have as, as turkey hunters and conservationists and researchers to to really do good work going forward.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, What we've seen is, you know, the 80s and 90s populations were being restored across a lot of areas and times were good and people were happy and states were liberalizing seasons and things appeared to be doing quite well. And in reality, as populations were being restored, we were already seeing declines in some areas in, in productivity. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, populations were, were increasing at the same time that they were becoming less productive. Um, and what, what we saw was, and what we've seen across broad areas of the species range is populations kind of reached a, a level, probably overshot carrying capacity a little bit, meaning, there were more turkeys out there than the landscape could support Population started to decline and and instead of them those declines kind of stopping at a point where things were still good they've declined to a point where there's concern and those declines are primarily driven by declines in in production we're just not making as many birds as we were historically and Data across a, a number of all of the southeastern states actually clearly shows that we're just not producing the number of birds that we were. And at the same time, you've seen all of these other changes to the landscape, you know, loss of hardwood forest, loss of habitat in general, uh, degradation of habitat that's existing. So in other words, the habitat's just not in some ways as good quote unquote good as it was Decades ago, you know, we've seen uh, changes to predator communities, collapse of the fur market, uh, disease issues that have popped up. Uh, Like I talked about at the convention, you know, turkeys are pretty unique. I mean that it's the only game bird in North America that, at least in the lower 48 that we hunt during their breeding season. So you, you kind of wrap all of that together and there haven't been a lot of things positive from a Turkey's perspective over the last few decades. And, and now you, you kind of fast forward to where we are today and, and a lot of, a lot of agencies recognize these declines and they're willing to spend the money to do the research, to try to address, you know, what are, what are the underlying factors influencing these populations and what can we do about it? And that that's kind of what I've seen in the past, handful of years is just this dramatic increase in research. And like I said, at the convention there's more research being done on turkeys now than at any time in my career. And I'm in my, this is the 30th year I've studied wild turkeys. Um, And there's more work going on now than there ever has been in my career. And that, that just speaks volumes to me as to how relevant this bird is uh, and how the kind of the groundswell of concern that you've seen in the turkey hunting and turkey management community has prompted agencies to prioritize the bird and that's a positive
0: patrick what do you what do you think drives that research increase
1: well the as mike said just the concern with the population and where it's at today so you know state agencies are are feeling the pressure of you know allowing hunters to have opportunity but also making sure that you know, we're sustaining wild turkeys as a resource moving forward. So they're, you know, they're vested in this bird and, you know, they're essentially most all the projects that we work on are through state agencies funded. And so they're doing this research to help, you know, gain information to eventually use to, you know, figure out if they need to make regulation changes or if things are fine or what they can do as a state agency to help the bird.
0: So when. With the relationship that the universities and researchers have with with state agencies, uh, I, I don't want to pick on the state, but Alabama, I mean, it's at some point just in the recent past, it was five turkeys and then it's four. So it, it seems like a lot of state agencies are slow to react because of hunting pressure, excuse me, pressure from hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're. you're there's a risk, of uh, there's a fear of, if, if, if they take it away, we'll never get it back. Right. And so is, is researchers, when you go to state agencies and you go to, and, and you go to the, just the public and you say, okay, this is the data that we have. Um, and, and you know, you guys see a need or you see a, a path or a, a reaction, if you will, how do you deal with that? When, when, when state agencies are slow to react or, or hunters are, aggressive to what you're trying to say based off of the research that has been collected across the country
2: yeah it's a that's a that's always a contentious issue you know from our perspective all we do is collect data at the request of the agencies so we work under contracts that that are between, you know, say Georgia DNR, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the, um, and the university and we collect the information that they deem relevant and we provide the information to them and then they decide, you know, they go from there. We don't, we have no say in regulations changes or what occurs on state or public lands. We just provide the information and the agencies react. <clears throat> um, I'd be lying if I said it's not frustrating at times that, you know, you provide information and, and sometimes there is a kind of a slow reaction to it. But, you know, agencies are in a really, they're in a tricky situation because they're trying to, they're trying to please everyone, if you will. They're they're trying to make sure that we can hunt and that we can be successful and we can, we can hunt the way that we've hunted historically and they're also trying to ensure sustainable populations of turkeys or whatever species that are, are out there. And so they're, they're walking this tightrope all the time, where they've got these, you know, they have us and me as a turkey hunter saying, Hey, I want to be able to be out there when the birds are gobbling and I want to harvest as many of them as I, as I have in the past. And then on the flip side, the agency's going, well, the data suggests there aren't as many of them out there. And so we're going to have to make these changes, understanding that some of you are not going to be happy about it. And that that's just the realities that agencies work under. And I don't envy them at all. They, no. it's, a, it's contentious and it, it always will be because when you enter opinions and you enter uh, human needs and human wants that. (laughs)
0: It's tough.
2: It's it's tough. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I didn't realize how agencies work and the pressure that they're under from, from hunters, uh, until I started a podcast two years ago and I started interviewing and, and you know, the, the DNR representatives in, in my home state, Ohio, and talking to them and managing hunter emotions, is a massive part of their job. And Patrick, I don't know if you knew that you were signing up for that when <laughs> when you dove into this. So stay on the research side, right? But yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy when I when I see I in in, in that, that word emotion, that's that's a very impactful word, you know, for this. So uh, you know, kudos to you guys for for you know trying to separate that. And I understand that it's gotta be frustrating when you say, Okay, hey, here's a cl- here's a clear issue, here's a clear direction that we need to take. And people are like, nah the Facebook people got all fired up. So we're just going to you know, keep moving. So that's tough, man. That's tough to stomach. So Patrick, talk to me about some of the work that, that you have going on uh, actively. And then there's, there's a, there's a, a research project that you did that I want to, I really want to pick apart uh, for selfish sure. reasons. So, <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. So currently I'm a post with Dr. Chamberlain. So I've got my hands in a little bit of everything that, that he's got going on, but specifically I'm, I'm tasked with, analyzing data um, for the uh, South Carolina study, which is at SRS, which is our unhunted population, if you've seen Mike talk about it, on social media. And then I'm also helping out with um, the gobbling research that we've partnered with uh, Alabama and Auburn and Turkeys for Tomorrow. I'm helping analyze some of that data. Um, and then also assisting with the projects here in Georgia that we've been you know, doing since 2015. And, and I started here doing my PhD work in 2018 and just finished last spring working on the Georgia project and then before that during my master's research I was at the uh, web center in South Carolina and I did my master's research on turkeys turkeys there um, so yeah a lot of my research has been focused on male behavior and, and gobbling activity and how we as humans influence that or other environmental variables and, and predation. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, currently I'm working on a survival paper looking at at harvest rates across really all of our study sites in the southeast. It's about five, five to six hundred birds. But, yeah, so we we got a lot going on. It's hard to just describe, you know, a handful of things. Yeah.
0: Um, But that's
1: kind of the, you know, 3000 level
0: when when you and i were emailing back and forth you said you'd been climbing trees all week to to put up now is that is that the arus is that what that is that what is it the autonomous recording units
1: right correct so yeah those are just sound recorders that we're putting on the landscape and we get those out the last week of february and our data collection window starts march 1st and we run that through um the month of june so yeah right now it's kind of you know, we've got all these field crews and other masters and PhD students, that technicians out in the field, but they're also wrapping up trapping season, and so they're super busy. So sometimes they they call me in for backup yeah, <laughs> to run very, out and and get these units up and help trap turkeys.
0: Very good. So I, I want to ask a just a really really basic question, and that is why do turkeys gobble?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question, and one we one we talk about so really turkeys begin gobbling in the spring as daylight increases, testosterone rises. Um, they start competing with conspecifics specifics for, for breeding opportunities. And, and so, you know, gobbling is a, is a courtship um, part of a courtship. We know we're used when we talk about courtships, we think of visual ones, you know, strutting, but you know, it's an auditory courtship that these, these birds do to secure breeding opportunities um, with females. So yeah, secure breeding opportunities compete with, compete with males and establish the, you know, kind of their dominance in the, uh, hierarchy.
0: Now, are the two main reasons. Well, well, Tom's gobble year round?
1: Yeah, they, they do. Um, and so, you know, we get that all the time. Uh, January and I heard, you know, I was out in the, in the duck woods and, you know, heard turkeys gobbling. And I think that kind of just goes maybe to the, you know, they wake up one morning bunch of hens are cutting or something's got them going maybe it's a nice day and they start gobbling but what we see in totality is the the real increases in the spring sure
0: now what what is what is drumming that's just another way for them to say hey come look at me right
1: yeah it's it's just another auditory cue that they use um now the mechanism itself i guess there's kind of i mean mike you can you know talk about drumming but a little bit of debate on actually how it occurs in, in the bird
2: yeah that's a that's a hotly debated topic on social media you know if you say hey uh they drum and some people say well it's a you know it's air moving across their feathers and other people will say it's it's a an actual vocalization that they make you know they chuff the air and um and honestly i don't i don't think we i know we don't fully understand what that you know where that sound entirely comes from, but maybe we shouldn't, maybe that's just something sexy and romantic that we sh- you know, yeah. should be an unknown, but, uh, it is really an interesting thing, particularly when you start talking to people that can't hear it, you know, and, and people like me that I can hear drumming forever and I can feel it. And then, you know, I've hunted with people that are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I can't, I can't hear it at all. Yeah. I I've, I've heard it just a, a very few
0: times in my life, and and the first time I heard it, I didn't know what it was. I just you know the first couple of years in Turkey Woods, and I turned to see what it was. And this there was a tom just right there, just drumming. I it's it's such a weird experience, but I I don't hear it often, so I don't know if it's something mm-hmm. that that the turkeys just do they do it all the time in the woods, or is it just because I can't I can't hear that frequency? I guess we think it's
2: we. Th- we think it's probably associated with the hen is close and therefore there's no need to continue gobbling. You can just, you know, make this very subtle cue that tells her where you are. Um, I've, and I've said this in other podcasts, I misjudge where the sound is coming from quite a bit. And I'm usually off by like 30 or 40 degrees. I, I think it's over here to the left at you know 300 degrees, and in reality, he's, he's due west of me type of thing. But I have hunted with people sitting on the same tree that, you know, I remember this one bird years ago in Louisiana. I was like, this bird is right beside us to the left, and the guy I was hunting with, he was like, what are you talking about? And I'm trying to whisper. I'm like, this bird is literally on top of us. Don't move! Don't move! And do you see him? I said, "No." I hear him drumming. He goes, "What? I don't, I don't hear anything." Goes, Shut up! You know, don't move. And the bird actually ended up spooking off of us. But mm. um, yeah, he had no idea. He, he couldn't, yeah. he couldn't hear it, feel it, anything. That's that's
0: that's wild, Patrick. I want to I want to just circle back to something that, that you said about the increase in gobbling activity that you guys have seen, and it's it's based on daylight hours increasing. So uh, here in Ohio, I mean, we had three days in the 70s last week uh the daffodils are up i mean the maple trees are, are starting to bud and it's february it's the end of february that's never happened in my lifetime so does that that doesn't kick start the the gobbling activity or the the breeding cycles for turkeys in in these northern states when we get weird influxes of of sun or uh, warm temperatures
1: no so i mean i we see very short window in terms of variation when reproductive activities occur like because we'll get really nice days in the southeast too across these studies and what we see is that temperature and weather might shift what we breeding opportunity you know the breeding window but it's only going to be by about a week or so like we see very little variation into when breeding occurs and therefore when when gobbling happens but with that being said, you know I was in the field a couple of days ago here in Georgia, and the turkeys the turkeys were gobbling, and we also had extremely extremely warm weather. So I, I think that it it influences it might impact how much they gobble early in the season. You know if it's nice and sunny out versus if it if it's cold. But in terms of that, I would say the peak that we would see, you know, the rise, the true rise in gobbling during the spring. I think that weather has An influence, but, but very minimal, you know, it might be seven to 10 days, but it's not going to be two to three weeks.
2: Okay. And if you think about that, makes sense. I mean, this bird, like other species, they're wired to reproduce at the same time every year. So, you know, variations of a week, that's, that's one thing, but I mean, their ecology is not driven around. Well, hey, it's warm this spring. Let's go ahead and breed a month earlier. You know, that, that just doesn't occur. They're wired to, to breed at the same time each year. So to Patrick's point, you know, from our most dramatic, you know, one, one end to the other, we may literally see seven days in breeding activity from one year to the next. And when you plot like five or six or eight or 10 years data, you basically see that it, the noise disappears and it's all pretty much within about a week across time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's it's just like the whitetail rut here in Ohio. It's the same, it's the same time every year. It could be five degrees or eighty-five degrees. And those deer are still, I mean, it's like you said, it's daylight, daylight driven. So that's uh the, the other kind of uh and this is once again a selfish question. That's the great thing about having a podcast, is I can ask selfish questions for myself. And it's an old wives tale that you hear turkey hunters uh talk about. And Patrick, I went through your research, I didn't say anything about it. The turkeys don't gobble on an east wind. Is that true? <laughs> oh
1: boy. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't know if I've heard that one. Um, really?
0: Oh man, I hear it all the time. Uh, with east, these folks.
1: gobble on an east wind. So you, so you're in the northeast with an mm. east wind. Huh? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that would be related to storm systems historically. I mean, we did find in that paper, you know, that it's parametric pressure rises, which essentially is associated when you get a storm front that's leaving or vice versa when it's coming in that, that gobbling decreases, but not, I, I, I looked at wind speed, but not direction. That's
0: one. Yes, that you know what? Do it over, Mike. Let him do it over. <laughs> it's throw it out. It's wrong. East wind.
2: <laughs> I have a buddy that this is not related to to turkeys at all, but I have a, a buddy who's he's a die-hard duck hunter in Louisiana, and um, to say he's Cajun would be an understatement. And he <laughs> and he talks like this, bro. And he would tell you that he always says, East is least. And I asked him years ago, I was like, what, what are you talking about? He goes, You know, ducks don't fly on an east wind. And I asked him if he, you know, how, why would you say that? He says, Because I've been doing this 50 years, bro. So, <laughs> hey, maybe there's something to it with the turkey world. But he's, Duke's convinced that from a duck hunting perspective, East is least. Yeah.
0: That's, maybe there is something to it. I, I, who I knows? Don't know. I mean,
2: uh so
0: what biologically what what happens in a a turkey in a male turkey that he's just like okay it's time to go time to start ripping gobbles every chance i get
1: yeah i think it's that that increase in testosterone as we talked about as it relates to day length and then as females become receptive so When I try to talk about gobbling chronology, I think it's best to describe what we see on our unhunted site because we can talk about how we influence the bird. But um, essentially, what it looks like is a bell. We call it in you know in the science world we call it a bell curve. But if you just you know imagine the shape of a bell, what we see in the southeast is you know once we start March first, the gobbling activity kind of rises up, and then by about the middle of March, what you see is that you're probably halfway up that that bell curve and then it peaks around the second week in April you'd be on on top of that that bell curve and what we found is that that peak is pretty associated with 10 days before um, incubation or mean incubation day when hens are sitting on nest and that also is associated with the initiation of laying so what we see is a peak in gobbling during laying and this is likely when males or females are most receptive you know it, it benefits them to continue to breed when they're, when they're laying so that they know that their eggs are fertilized. And then from a male perspective, you know, the odds of you being represented in the clutch is probably tied to, you know, how frequently you're breeding her during that, that laying sequence. And then what we see is it kind of starts to go down after that. So you kind of go down the backside of that bell curve. And what we see here is that by about middle of May, you're probably halfway down that, that bell curve and then things kind of tailor, tailor out. So that's kind of what gobbling chronology looks like as a whole. And like I said, testosterone rising in males is kind of what drives that and then receptivity of females. So they, they want to be gobbling and fighting for, you know, breeding opportunities when she's most receptive.
0: So Mike, I've got the most common question that I get when I, when I bring, t- you know, new hunters into the, to the pursuit of Turkey hunting, and, you know, if, if you go out and see the woods two or three weeks before season, you got turkeys everywhere, they're gobbling, they're fired up, and then season opens, uh, and there's nothing. There's no gobbling on it to the day. And, then, and so people are never like, well, where'd they go? I, I have no idea, man. I mean, it's just part of turkey hunting. So why, why is that? Why, did tur- why don't turkeys gobble all the time? Is it, is it just they get bored, they move? What are, what are the factors that kind that of affect that gobbling activity?
2: Well, one thing is, I mean, we've clearly seen that on on hunted sites that there is a, a an obvious decline in gobbling activity once hunting starts. Part of that is just vocal birds are being shot. The other part of that is the bird remaining birds are changing their behavior, you know, in response to that that hunting activity and hunting pressure, and they just gobble less, you know. We and we we see that in particular, most of the gobbling is associated with them on the roost or immediately after they fly down. And that makes sense because, you know, gobble at the point in your range that you feel the most secure, which is a a tree. And then once you hit the ground, gobble less because gobbling increases your risk. So that, that signal is very clear on, on, all of our study sites that are hunted, and to Patrick's point, you know, the, the bell curve that you see on on the non-hunted populations, what happens on our hunted populations is you get about towards the top of that bell, and it dramatically drops off, so you don't see that that slow decline in gobbling, you see this more precipitous rapid decline in gobbling, Still, some days, you know, you'll you'll see an uptick in gobbling activity, but the general trend is as the season progresses, birds are gobbling less and less and less, and that's just a response to to risk that we are putting on the landscape. And Patrick, in your
0: in your research paper, uh, the gobbling activity, what was it? Seventy five percent of the gobbles that you guys captured recorded were within what the first hour yeah, and a half, 30- yeah.
1: 30 minutes before sunrise till 30 minutes after sunrise that's when yeah 70 73 percent I think was the exact number but, yeah of yeah, um, goblin occurs
0: that's 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 impressive so so they they hit the ground and, and and that's just a reaction to like the potential of a predator right that's that's why they stop.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's part of it. You know, they're, they're safer on the limb. And then also, you know, if you read back to the early literature, it's this idea that on the limb they can be heard from farther away too. So it's, it's a safety thing and they can project their sound from longer, you know, a longer way. And then I think, you know, they, they get on the ground. And so, you know, they don't want to gobble as as much if they don't feel, you know, quite as safe. And then also a lot of times I think they, they meet up with hens in the presence of a hen, I mean, how much do you, do you need to gobble unless you have, you know, you have someone competing with you nearby. Yeah.
0: Now there was a study, Mike, that I think that you did a couple of years ago and, and you had, you had a, a Tom that, that had a GPS tracker and you had a hunter, you would give them GPS trackers and, and, and mm-hmm. you watched the movement. And it was really interesting seeing turkeys reactions to hunting pressure and how close that they would get to the hunter silent, no gobbling, no drumming, and and the hunter never saw them. So when 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 we enter the woods as hunters, I mean we I like you said we dramatically upset the the peace and balance, I guess, in the woods, uh and 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 they changed their behavior. So when as a hunter, like when we're out calling and, and you know we're hunting these turkeys and and they move away with hens, dude what was the what the data show that how those turkeys reacted you know, after that kind of that that initial fly down with hunting pressure in there on, on that research study that you did?
2: Yeah. The take home there was, they were all different. They, there was, you know, you couldn't really pigeonhole birds into, they all do this or they all do that. They were all kind of individuals and how they responded to pressure. We, we had birds that would head for the hills and travel a mile or more that day that they encountered a hunter. We, we had, we had toms that literally hunkered down and spent the entire hunting season within, you know, an area where hunters were constantly accessing their home range and they survived that. And everything in between, we, I mean, any kind of, of scenario that you can think of, we saw it, you know, situations where birds would, would get fairly close to hunters, certainly almost within, certainly within shot. The hunter never knew they were there and never heard the bird. Um, we had situations where we would have birds that would approach where the hunter had been hours later in the day, you know, suggesting that clearly he heard the calls coming from that location, but either he had some other agenda on his mind at that time or he was or skeptical of, of what he was hearing and he decided to go back to that location later in the day the kind of the take home, which has been found in a lot of other species recent with recent research on how they respond to hunting pressure is there's no average Tom. They're all individual. They have different strategies. They have different ways of, of dealing with risk. And that just speaks to how, and if you think about it as a Turkey hunter, we see that every day. We see that every Turkey season that, damn, I thought he was going to do that. And he did something else. Or I I thought he was going left and he went right. Or, I mean, there's just, it's so hard to predict what they're going to do because they're highly individuals, you know, when it comes to how they deal with pressure. Yeah. I've said this a ton. I I feel like a wild Turkey can exercise or
0: does exercise free will more than any other animal in in the woods. I mean, they're just like a little amoeba and, you know, with deer, they're a little more regimented in their movements and, uh, and, I hate to use the word predictable, but that's it. I mean, they're a little more predictable in the areas that they want to be and how they're going to move. So, like you said, a turkey hit the ground and may go a mile from that roost tree. That's, 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 uh, man, it's kind of, kind of frustrating as a hunter, you know, especially when you hear them like, oh, yeah, they they circle back. And,
2: well, I mean, uh, think about deer, like during, you know, if you're hunting deer, and I'm a fanatical deer hunter. I can tell for the people listening to this, there's, I don't know how many antlers
0: are behind you, but you
2: got, I like the shed hunt too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, outside of the rut, if you're a deer hunter, you're hunting, you know, travel routes or or food, you know, and, and you can to some degree predict, you know, your success through time. Once a rut hits, you know, it can be a free for all And, and the turkeys, it you're hunting their rut the entire season. You know, you're, you're not hunting an animal that is geared towards food resources. You're hunting an animal that's geared towards reproduction and, and survival. That's it. They're trying to make a living and not die while doing it. And reproduction is what drives their ecology for a male in the spring. So that's why they're so unpredictable. I mean, you're, you're basically trying to predict an animal Who's trying to reproduce and not die while doing it? So you would expect their behavior to be more erratic. You know, yeah, than talking an about a loose tied to a food source.
0: Yeah, talking about a loose cannon, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Patrick, what were some of the let's talk about like the actual weather pattern. So you, you you said that, you know, on on the low pressure storm fronts moving in, that suppressed gobbling activity. On the flip side, good weather coming in, or on the back, so I guess that, you know the backside side of those, what was the what was the what the data show?
1: yeah so so there we were talking about the the barometric pressure itself and and what to know with barometric pressure was it wasn't you know how high barometric pressure was or how low it was. It was the change in barometric pressure. So you know it could it could be high for three, four days and we didn't see a relationship with any increases in gobbling activity. It's when it when it was really low and then it shot up, you know that that change was high. and that is associated with um, you know typically, Um, storm fronts and stuff like that but then other than that we saw some pretty obvious things Um, rain and wind negatively influence gobbling activity and you know in the paper we mentioned that obviously our ability to hear gobbling during those situations is, is also less but you have to think about it in terms of you know biologically if this bird is using this vocalization to grab attention from females and then also doing it in a way where it's trying to not get predated. If it's really windy or super rainy out, you know, that sound isn't going to travel very far and it's probably not too effective. So it doesn't really make sense, you know, to just gobble in in those conditions. And then lastly, what we saw is that I think high temperatures um, decreased gobbling activity here in, in the Southeast. And that's once temperatures got above about 80 degrees, we saw a relationship with um, gobbling activity declining
0: was that just conserving energy or was it was there any
1: yeah i mean you know we have as to as to why that why that is um but yeah biologically i think when it's just really hot these birds aren't into you know the last thing on their mind is expending a lot of of energy um gobbling also you know there is a little bit of you know it coincides with time of year here in in the southeast so as we talked about before you're kind of climbing down that bell curve when temperatures are getting really hot here. So it's, it's likely a, a combination of the two. You know, it, it, it's probably, it's, it's hard for us as researchers to, to tease, tease that aspect out, um, which is important to know with the, with the weather stuff as a whole, right? I mean, so it definitely causes some day-to-day variation within that, that bell curve. But what we see pretty clearly is that first reproduct, reproduct, timing of reproduction influences it, then us harvest, and then kind of weather comes in there and is much more at a, at a finer scale. Yeah,
0: that's that's interesting. I think just as a hunter, my least favorite uh, weather to hunt is wind, drives me nuts. Uh, and then, yeah. and then rain. I mean, no one likes to be wet, and, and then turkeys are just ugly when they're. <laughs> when they're wet, so and Mike, you you did a real nice Instagram post about that the other day. I mean, just how they're just gross looking when they've been getting rained on for two days. So uh I guess that's just stay out of the woods. That's 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 for me. Unless it's the only day to hunt, then you're going to deal with it. I guess so. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't even want to shoot a bird when they're wet. You
2: know. they're the
0: ugliest things.
2: You know, the iridescence
0: just, is gone. It's just it yeah. takes it takes it all it takes the joy away. You know, it does.
2: I mean, it really a lot of it to me is just sitting there with the bird after the fact and just marveling at how just stunning they are. Um, and when they're wet, it's just like gross, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, they just, they're not, to me, they're just not themselves. And I don't even hunt if it starts raining. And it's, this is the truth. If it starts raining hard, I just I'd quit. Um, yeah. I carry rain gear in my vest. a a light jacket and some pants just in case, just to keep myself comfortable on the way back to the truck. But uh, I usually will just pack it up if it it starts raining. That's, that's a, I, I I remember vividly
0: the first wild Turkey that I killed and I walked up to it and I just, I just looked at it and it was just, I I couldn't believe the iridescence and and I, it was amazing. I didn't know what to do. I, I'd find, it took me three years to kill my first Turkey and I just ran up and I just stood there and I looked at it I, I didn't know what to say. I couldn't talk. I couldn't, I couldn't even think. I just, I just sat there and I just like touched this, this, tar- this turkey. It was this a little tiny Jake. And I was, I'll never forget that, that moment. Do, do you, do you guys have like, just, I mean, you said you just sit there and you just absorb the hunt. You think about it. Do you have a little, you know, post hunt rituals that uh, you partake in like Dave Owen smokes the cigar and, and, and kind of memorializes that, that hunt in his mind. Do you guys do something like that?
2: I do. I don't, I don't smoke cigars or do anything you know like that but and I don't really have a ritual per se but I will usually unless I'm absolutely forced to leave I usually will sit there for quite some time and and just reflect on you know what happened and um you know I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a goober nerd you know so I I sit there and pick their feathers apart and you know, look at their legs and their feet and their bills and their head. And, their, you know, and I'm looking for I'm I'm rubbing on them to figure out, you know, injuries, anything, you know. So I, it takes me a while to kind of get get my ducks in a row, if you will, sitting there. And, yeah. and of course, I, I mean, I'll I'm about to go buy a new phone because my phone is broken. But when I go to the Verizon store, it and they copy your pictures from one device to the other and they have to upload it to the cloud. It takes like an hour because I have literally thousands of pictures of turkeys that are the same pictures over and over and over, you know, a picture of their back, a picture of the tail, a picture of the leg, a picture of this, because I just can't get enough. It's like it, it doesn't do the bird justice. You could, you just can't take enough pictures to try to re- to provide you with a way to reflect back on the opportunity that you had to harvest that bird. That's the, that's the way I look at it. So I just keep sitting there taking pictures of the same thing over and over and over because I can't get enough of it. Yeah.
0: One of the, one of the turkeys that I was fortunate to harvest, uh, it was just river bottom. It was swampy. And as I was walking in that morning, there was just the, I, had stumbled across this massive just flat of the of the bluebells in full bloom and i'm like i can't walk through these i mean this is this is gorgeous so i go all the way around i set up and i, I watch this turkey walk right through those bluebells and i'll never forget that it's just i mean it's just burned into my mind mm-hmm. you know and, and and i just same thing you just sit there and you soak it all in i'm gonna start picking the birds apart i'm gonna i'm gonna get a little more um my, my background is in turf grass science i worked on a golf course for 15 years so i would i would every time i see a a blade of grass that looks weird i'd pick it up and look at it and put it in my pocket and my wife would do the laundry and there's just like these giant clumps of grass blades (laughs) and (laughs) bugs and all this stuff in my pocket so i understand the 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 that kind of that you you just want to pick it apart and and inspect and learn and 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 dive into it so that's that's really neat patrick how many what, what do you got planned for hunting season this year
1: oh well yeah hunting season's always always interesting what I have to deal with is keeping Mike happy and also spending as much time <laughs> in the woods as, as I possibly can. And, and now, you know, I've got an eight month son at home, so it's oh, also yeah. keeping my wife happy. So it's, yeah, I'm taking it from, from all angles. This, this hunting yeah. season is going to look a little different than, than it has in the past, but um, I'll be hunting in Alabama, some Georgia. I typically get up to, to Indiana every year. I enjoy hunting there. Um, and then I'll probably sprinkle in some other states if, if the wife will allow. And Mike's not screaming at me where yeah. the results are. No, so don't, don't, let <laughs> don't let him. Don't let him. I will say it's easy to get away with because, you know, there's a little secret. Mike's not really found in the office during turkey season either. So it, it's okay. easy to come and go.
0: So is that so? Is hunting, does that classify as work, Mike, for Patrick? <laughs>
2: uh, you know, the way I look at it, you can't you can't be um you can't be an expert on this bird if you don't hunt them that's my opinion there's just so you know we spend all year thinking about this bird working towards what we're doing and i mean if you if you work to the extent that you don't get out in the spring woods and enjoy this bird then you're missing out on something that's important to you know, who you are as a person. So yeah. I don't ask Patrick where he's going in the spring. Um But don't, don't let him fool you. This is not a sob story. You know, there, <laughs> there will be hunting that is, that's occurring.
0: Yeah. Patrick, just, just put, put in a budget request for him to, for you to come hunt turkeys with me in Ohio. And we'll, uh, we'll do an inspection on the research project here or whatever. Yeah, That,
1: that sounds good. <laughs> I love getting back up to the Northeast. I grew up in Western New York, so that's where I cut okay. my teeth. Very, very good.
0: Now, Mike, what do you have any 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 cool hunts planned this year?
2: I do. Um, I, I will be I will be all over this spring. I, I've gotten the opportunity finally to go on a Goulds hunt. I've never done that. I'm really super excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm I'm blessed that I get invites to go to places and. And so I'll be hunting in a a couple of states this year. Um, I kind of have my routine every year. I, um, of course I'll hunt here around my house, but honestly I don't hunt much here in Georgia, maybe certainly no more than five days the entire season. I I travel and I I like to travel. So I go to Texas every year. I go to South Dakota every year um, because I just, I love hunting out in the prairies. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll be making my tour and, and seeing different places and meeting people. And I, that that's, that's kind of my thing, man. I, I don't have to be successful at all. I just like seeing different places that turkeys live. I think that gives you a lot of perspective on how adaptable that bird is, because if you travel this country and just look at the places this bird lives. You really, I hope, get an appreciation for just how how plastic the bird is. They can they can make do in some really challenging landscapes. Which and, and hunting those places is you know is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I I did an interview yesterday with with Jay Scott, and he does a lot mm-hmm. of Gould's, Goulds. That's who thing. I'm hunting with. Yeah. Okay, excellent, yeah. great great guy, and he was explaining just some of those. Just like you said some of the environments and how to hunt and roost turkeys out west and i've never hunted west of the mississippi river i'm going to montana for the first time this year but i'm just visualizing the landscape that these turkeys live in and as is an eastern hunter i mean it's it's really it's, it's hard to imagine that the turkeys thrive mm-hmm. in in these environments out there uh it is it is neat to think about it. you're i mean you're absolutely right you talk about just being plastic and being able to mold into any environment that they're that they're in. It's it, it is impressive. It really is. So
2: yeah, I mean look at like you're going to Montana. I mean look at the conditions that those birds face in that in that climate. I mean just just look this year at the snowfall and the cold that that those birds have experienced and they thrive in it. Yeah. And it just they, yet you turn around and think about the conditions that a Goulds faces in some of the the southern latitudes and those mountain ranges that they live in it, it's it's crazy if you really if you just sit and think about it the the differences these birds experience you know think about osceola's and some of the, the climates and some of the conditions that they live in how wet their environment is it's it's just i mean just speaks to how adaptable the bird is yeah i'm doing my first florida turkey at this it's a it's a big year for me
0: and And I, one of the areas we're hunting, the guy talked about the birds living in the swamp and they just, they're in water a massive amount of the day, every day. And I mean, that's just, it's just amazing how, yeah, you just think about it. I mean, it really is. It's just, they're just so cool. There's such neat little animals, neat little critters. And thank you to you two for, for all of the work that you do to prop up, you know, the the populations and and really understand uh, turkey hunters. Patrick, I'm going to need that East wind study. Uh, here yeah. soon, so I mean, I I'll could start get
1: into the data, but I, I don't think you're going to see
0: anything. <laughs> what a, so What? A, there's got to be some other wives' tales that you guys have heard, and I mean, I just today I was looking at your post on Twitter, uh, Mike, and 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 people were like, "Well, what about?" And they're asking all these questions. I'm like, "Dude, quick Google search, Google Scholar." There is a trove of information uh, for you guys. Do you guys hear just just the, what? What's some of the most ridiculous things that you hear from turkey hunters? You're just like. Oh God! I think <laughs> one, of, of
2: one of the craziest ones that I hear is this notion that Toms will go destroy nest of hens. Oh. Uh, that Patrick, I, for you guys to listen, like I mean, his, his jaw just literally hit the floor. <laughs> I, I get it every year. Every year, I will get questions about. Well, I've heard that that these gobblers will run around and trample nest and destroy nest and tear up the eggs. And, and I, I just have to step back and, and calmly and professionally say, no, that there's, there's zero evidence to suggest that occurs, but that that's one of the craziest ones I get. Yeah. And there are many, but that's one of, that's one yeah. of the craziest. Patrick, what about you? There's gotta be something you're just,
0: your, your head just explodes when someone says it
1: yeah yeah it's hard to pin one thing um one thing that we get all the time is the aging birds by the spur length that one that one kind of always chuckle with that one i talk to a yeah. hunter they'll show me in the morning you know they're all happy about their bird and they're like check this you know this is definitely a, a three-year-old or a four-year-old and it's like well i mean there's really no way of knowing that you know i hate to get all scientific on the people that are enjoying their, <laughs> enjoying their hunt but that one yeah. that one gets me quite often
0: yeah. So, how do you age a turkey, scientifically? Not just by, you know, he's got a big beard.
1: Yeah. So, so scientifically speaking, we only really know whether they're a juvenile or adult, um, and that's just looking at the barring on the on the primary wing. So, on an on an adult, the white barring goes all the way down on the on the tenth primary, and on a juvenile, that stops short. And then, obviously, with males, there's other in, indicators. You know, the tail fan uh beard length there its you know a couple inches and but uh yeah that's that's one of the you know true frustrating things i think as a researcher is not knowing exactly how old the old bird is um I, yeah i i wish we i wish we did you know we have some birds that we catch as juveniles and then recapture and we can get an idea of, of known age but it's so small of a sample you know it's less than five percent of the birds that mm. that we catch so yeah it's it's Frustrating, but I mean, you can, Mike, you can talk about it. You can radio, you can cut the radio, you can radiograph radiograph them. Um,
2: But, but at the end of the day, I mean, even that the research where they radiograph spurs, other than being able to say this bird is most likely a two or a three year old, there was still about 25% error even then. Wow. You know, it's just, it's just hard because. You know, spur length is not just, it's not a, something that just standardized across birds and regions and subspecies. I mean, it just, there's so much that goes into spur length. And I guess at the end of the day, and I, I look, I lived through the period of, and I'm not going to lie, when I walk up to a bird and he's got a set of absolute, you know, spikes, I'm like, hell yeah. You know, yeah. I'm am, I'm am happy, man. That is awesome but I don't, I'm not there anymore. You know, I, I still, it's cool, you know, to shoot a bird with super long spurs and think, yeah, that's probably an older bird, but my own data shows that it could be a two year old with an inch and a quarter spurs. I mean, we've seen that. So I just ignore it now. Um, Yeah. You know, probably the most memorable, or it was the most memorable bird I shot last year. I caught him the spinner. Uh, he would he would strut in these tight little spin pinwheel circles, um, and he was uh, beautiful. This is in Nebraska. He had the shortest spurs of any time I've ever killed. I've killed Jake's that were just about as long as his spurs were, and that was the most memorable hunt I had last year um, just because of how he behaved. Yeah, I think it's one of the,
0: the, the, the beautiful things about turkey hunting and kind of the culture that surrounds turkey hunting is that we don't a lot of us a lot of turkey hunters we don't fall into the the same pitfalls that deer hunting or elk hunting does where it's it's success is measured by inches you know how many points how many you know how big was this deer how big was this elk you know for me if if a turkey's gobbling hard and he wants to he wants to dance and he comes in he's a mature bird game on right i, I mean i i don't even look at this bird I've, i literally never like gauge to Turkey. Like I, you just look at, it, I'm gonna shoot that Turkey if I get a chance. And that's, that's all the effort that I put into it. And I hope that, you know, a lot of people listening to the show, they, they hear what you just said. It, you know, it doesn't matter if, if it's, if it's a mature Turkey, if that's your, your definition of success, uh, do it, get after it. So for sure. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really, I really appreciate it. And, and, and good luck to both of you. And thanks for all the work that you do, uh, you know in the name of of, of wild turkeys and, and and the conservation of those birds
2: yeah it's good to be with you yeah, yeah thank, thank you guys you. enjoyed it